Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I could sleep. As drowsiness came on, I sprinkled the deck with tacks, and then I turned in, bearing in mind the advice of my old friend Samblick, that I was not to step on them myself. I saw to it that not a few of them stood business end up. For when the spray passed Thieves' Bay, two canoes had put out and followed in her wake, and there was no disguising the fact any longer that I was alone. Now it is well known that one cannot step on a tack without saying something about it. A pretty good Christian can whistle when he steps on the commercial end of a carpet tack. A savage will howl and claw the air. And that was just what happened that night about twelve o'clock, while I was asleep in the cabin, where the savages thought they had me, sloop and all, but changed their minds when they stepped on deck, for then they thought that I or somebody else had them. I had no need of a dog. They howled like a pack of hounds. I had hardly use for a gun. They jumped pell-mell, some into their canoes, and some into the sea, to cool off, I suppose, and there was a deal of free language over it as they went. I fired several guns when I came on deck, to let the rascals know that I was at home, and then I turned in again, feeling sure I should not be disturbed any more by people who left in so great a hurry. The Fuegians, being cruel, are naturally cowards. They regard a rifle with superstitious fear. The only real danger one could see that might come from their quarter would be from allowing them to surround one within bowshot, or to anchor within range where they might lie in ambush. As for their coming on deck at night, even if I had not put tacks about, I could have cleared them off by shots from the cabin and hold. I always keep a quantity of ammunition within reach in the hold, and in the cabin, and in the forepeak, so that retreating to any of these places I could hold the fort simply by shooting up through the deck. Perhaps the greatest danger to be apprehended was from the use of fire. Every canoe carries fire. Nothing is thought of that, for it is their custom to communicate by smoke signals. The harmless brand that lies smouldering in the bottom of one of their canoes might be ablaze in one's cabin if he were not on the alert. The port captain of Sandy Point warned me particularly of this danger. 
Only a short time before they had fired a Chilean gunboat by throwing brands in through the stern windows of the cabin. The spray had no openings in the cabin or deck, except two scuttles, and these were guarded by fastenings which could not be undone without waking me if I were asleep. On the morning of the ninth, after a refreshing rest and a warm breakfast, and after I had swept the deck of tacks, I got out what spare canvas there was on board, and began to sew the pieces together in the shape of a peak for my square mainsail, the tarpaulin. The day to all appearances promised fine weather and light winds, but appearances in Tierra del Fuego do not always count. While I was wondering why no trees grew on the slope abreast of the anchorage, half-minded to lay by the sail-making and land with my gun for some game, and to inspect a white boulder on the beach near the brook, a willy-war came down with such terrific force as to carry the spray, with two anchors down, like a feather out of the cove and away into deep water. No wonder trees did not grow on the side of that hill. Great Boreas! A tree would need all its roots to hold on against such a furious wind. From the cove to the nearest land to Leward was a long drift, however, and I had ample time to weigh both anchors before the sloop came near any danger. And so no harm came of it. I saw no more savages that day or the next. They probably had some sign by which they knew of the coming willy-wars. At least they were wise in not being afloat even on the second day, for I had no sooner gotten to work at sail-making again, after the anchor was down, than the wind, as on the day before, picked the sloop up, and flung her seaward with a vengeance, anchor and all, as before. This fierce wind, usual to the Magellan country, continued on through the day, and swept the sloop by several miles of steep bluffs and precipices overhanging a bold shore of wild and uninviting appearance. I was not sorry to get away from it, though in doing so it was no Elysian shore to which I shaped my course. I kept on sailing in hope, since I had no choice but to go on, heading across for St. Nicholas Bay, where I had cast anchor February 19. It was now the 10th of March. Upon reaching the bay the second time, I had circumnavigated the wildest part of desolate Tierra del Fuego. But the spray had not yet arrived at St. Nicholas, and by the merest accident her bones were saved from resting there when she did arrive. The parting of a stasal sheet in a willy-war, when the sea was turbulent and she was plunging into the storm, brought me forward to see instantly a dark cliff ahead and breakers so close under the bows that I felt surely lost, and in my thoughts cried, Is the hand of fate against me after all, leading me in the end to this dark spot? I sprang aft again, unheeding the flapping sail, and threw the wheel over, expecting, as the sloop came down into the hollow of a wave, to feel her timbers smash under me on the rocks. But at the touch of her helm she swung clear of the danger, and in the next moment she was in the lee of the land. It was a small island in the middle of the bay for which the sloop had been steering, and which she made with such unerring aim as nearly to run it down. Further along the bay was the anchorage, which I managed to reach. 
but before I could get the anchor down, another school carried the sloop and whirled her round like a top and carried her away altogether to leeward of the bay. Still farther to leeward was a great headland, and I bore off for that. This was retracing my course towards Sandy Point, for the gale was from the south-west. I had the sloop soon under good control, however, and in a short time rounded to under the lee of a mountain, where the sea was as smooth as a mill-pond, and the sails flapped and hung limp while she carried her way close in. Here, I thought, I would anchor and rest till morning, the depth being eight fathoms very close to the shore. But it was interesting to see, as I let go the anchor, that it did not reach the bottom before another willy-war struck down from the mountain and carried the sloop off faster than I could pay out cable. Therefore, instead of resting, I had to man the windlass, and heave up the anchor with fifty fathoms of cable hanging up and down in deep water. This was in that part of the strait called Famine Reach. Dismal Famine Reach! On the sloop's crab windlass I worked the rest of the night, thinking how much easier it was for me when I could say, Do that thing or the other, and now doing it all myself. But I hove away and sang the old chants that I sang when I was a sailor. Within the last few days I had passed through much, and was now thankful that my state was no worse. It was daybreak when the anchor was at the hawse. By this time the wind had gone down, and Cat's paws took the place of Willywaw's, while the sloop drifted slowly towards Sandy Point. She came within sight of ships at anchor in the roads, and I was more than half-minded to put in for new sails. But the wind coming out from the north-east, which was fair for the other direction, I turned the prow of the spray westwards once more for the Pacific, to traverse a second time the second half of my course through the strait. End of chapter 8 Recording by Alan Chant in Tunbridge, Kent, England www.sevenoaksprep.kent.sch.uk